cult leader Aya Pim sat in his large bedroom on the night of July 18, 2005. Outside, he heard his hundreds of followers milling around the Sky Kingdom in northern Malaysia. As he lay down, he reflected on the past few decades. He'd come a long way in the past 30 years, from working odd jobs in small villages to presiding over an elegant spiritual compound. His prophetic dreams had changed his life. While lost in memories, Pin felt the ground rumble and heard faint cries from outside. He paused. It was quiet for a moment. Then the noises came again, this time louder than before. Suddenly, Pin saw fire raining down from the sky. Dozens of his loyal followers sprinted past his window in terror. He slipped on his shoes and ran out into the night. Chaos erupted all around him. Buildings caught fire, and he saw the sudden illumination of an explosion off in the distance. His kingdom crumbled in front of his eyes. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last week, we focused on the leader of a Malaysian cult known as the Sky Kingdom. Their leader, Aya Pin, claimed to be the reincarnation of a handful of religious figures. We explored Pin's mysterious origins and how he built one of the largest cults that Malaysia had ever seen. This week, we'll dive into the explosive growth of the group and its unexpected downfall at the hands of the controlling Malaysian government. We'll have all this and more coming up. Stay with us. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Hello, lover of things that go bump in the night. This is Dan Cummins. And I'm Lindsay Cummins. And we co-host the paranormal horror podcast, Scared to Death. Are shadow people real? What about demonic possessions? Poltergeist activity? Do you believe in ghosts? Malevolent entities? Are aliens real? Could you be abducted? We don't know. But what we do know is that we have over 230 episodes of stories on our podcast, Scared to Death, exploring all of the possibilities. Each week, we share several supposedly true stories that have been gathered from around the world and submissions from our own fans of allegedly true tales. Curious about the paranormal? Just like a spooky story? Do you need more fear to fuel you through your long work days? Come join us. New episodes of Scared to Death are released every Tuesday night. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you end up scared to death. Now in his late 50s, Aya Pin had experienced incredible growth in his religious group, the Sky Kingdom. By 2000, his message of peace resonated with hundreds, if not thousands, of followers. They viewed Pin as God, the only one who could unite the world in harmony. 
However, not everyone in Malaysia was receptive to Pint's message. Islam was the only state-sanctioned religion. Local Islamic leaders had had enough of Pint's deviant teachings and issued a fatwa against the group three years before. Followers of the Sky Kingdom were officially branded as lawbreakers in the eyes of the Sharia court. From there, things only escalated. By 2000, there was an uneasy tension between Pin's Sky Kingdom and local leaders. Authorities weren't willing to disturb the large commune, but they disdained Pin for operating in opposition to their ruling. So they went after some of Pin's closest followers, like Mohammed Yah and his wife Kamaria Ali. In defiance of a previous court ruling, the pair refused to repent for following Pin and were arrested again in the fall of 2000. They were accused of following and spreading false teachings which were threatening to Islam. These charges came with the penalty of two years in prison, but the couple was resolved to fight. They believed they had legal standing to get the case thrown out. The Malaysian constitution guaranteed freedom of religion. Muhammad Yah and Kamaria had renounced their Islamic faith in 1998 in civil court, so in their eyes, they could no longer be held to the high standards of Muslims, and in turn, the Sharia court. It seemed like a fairly cut and dried case. They, along with other Sky Kingdom followers, believed that the courts would drop the charges. But the Sharia courts wanted to make an example out of the Sky Kingdom. They argued that the transgressions had occurred before the couple had renounced their faith. This meant they were still responsible for their anti-Islamic actions. In addition, the Sharia courts didn't recognize the couple's claims with the civil court in 1998. In their eyes, Kamaria and Yah were still Muslims. They were swiftly sentenced to three years in prison. The ruling was a blow to the Sky Kingdom as a whole. The courts made it clear that none of them were safe and anyone could be targeted next. Their only safety net, the Constitution, had failed. Pin was disgusted by the outcome. The pair hadn't done anything wrong, and he didn't believe he led them astray. He knew his followers' punishment was a direct attack on him. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. It's clear that Pin's ego grew over his time as leader of the sect. After all, he now said that he was God's reincarnate. It's possible that Pin, the once altruistic visionary, had developed tendencies associated with narcissism. According to standard diagnostic criteria, a narcissist believes he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high-status people or institutions. Pin's ego wouldn't let this abuse from the government stand. He needed to do something to stand up to them and reassert his divine authority. So in 2001, Aya Pin formally renounced his Islamic faith in a letter to local leaders. He didn't necessarily disparage Islam, he just didn't like the government's unfair treatment of his followers, and he confessed that his religion had a different set of beliefs. In a conservative religious country, Pin's statement couldn't be ignored. Leaders viewed him as dangerous. The government may have feared that his Sky Kingdom followers would follow suit and all would renounce Islam. In an attempt to quash any insurrection and to set an even stronger example, the local government had Aya Pin arrested. 
In Sharia court, prosecutors accused Pin of leading his followers astray from Islam. He attempted the same defense as his followers, holding up his renouncement of faith as a reason for why he couldn't be charged. The courts pushed back and said that they were the only ones who could allow a Muslim to leave the faith, and they hadn't given Pin permission. To them, this meant Pin was still a Muslim, and as such, subject to their laws. Seeing that his initial defense was now void, Pin pivoted. He adamantly denied that he led his followers away from Islam. He reiterated that if any of his Sky Kingdom followers identified as a Muslim, he fostered their faith. But these claims didn't matter to local authorities. To them, it was just another level of hypocrisy and a possible cover for Pin's deviant ways. So to make an example of Pin and the Sky Kingdom, the courts sentenced him to 11 months in prison. The media seized on the moment and plastered Pin's name and likeness everywhere. He was cast as the face of an anti-Islam movement. Conservative hardliners read these stories with a mix of anger and fear. Malaysians all over the country demonized Pin and his followers. Even worse, the conviction ushered in a new wave of crackdowns on those like Pin, who strayed too far from the faith. In prison, guards served Pin abysmal food and kept him in a cramped cell. Pin struggled but persisted. He held out hope that he might be released early. But as each month passed, that reality seemed less likely. He kept his mind occupied with more prophetic visions of the Sky Kingdom, and each dream galvanized his mission in the face of adversity. He couldn't wait to be back with his followers in their promised land. When the authorities released him 11 months later, Pin was relieved. Kamaria Ali and her husband Mohammed Yah were also released from prison within the following year. They had dutifully served their three-year sentences. The government hoped that this firm slap on the wrist might steer Pin and his followers away from the deviant teachings. But those in prison didn't renounce their following of Aya Pin. Instead, their time behind bars only amplified their faith. Followers at the Sky Kingdom welcomed Pin back with open arms. It had been too long since they had seen their savior, and they cheered when he arrived. Hundreds continued to show up each weekend to hear Pin's teachings. However, the years in jail had taken their toll on Kamaria and Yah. Both of them struggled in different ways. Kamaria found herself shunned by her community for trying to leave Islam. To them, she'd stained the family's reputation. She also struggled to support herself financially. Employers refused to hire Kamaria, even though she was qualified, because of her involvement with Aya Pin. Mohammed Yah struggled physically. The time in prison had weakened his body. It's possible that he contracted a disease. Kamaria certainly thought that whatever ailments he faced were a result of his time away from the Sky Kingdom. In October 2003, shortly after being released from prison, Mohammed Yah died. His visions had inspired the large teapot in the middle of the Sky Kingdom and was one of Pin's most loyal followers. Now he was gone. Pin kept his outward appearance up, but it's not hard to imagine that this loss took its toll on him. He must have felt responsible for his followers' death. Without his guidance, they wouldn't have strayed away from Islam and ended up incarcerated. Fed up, Pin decided to act. He was going to hold the government responsible for Yah's death.
Coming up, Ayapin escalates his feud with the Malaysian government, and the Sky Kingdom comes crashing down. Parcasters, you know the world can be chaotic and unpredictable, but how far would you go to turn the tides of favor in your direction? In the newest Spotify original from Parcast, we're taking a closer look at bad omens, good luck charms, and age-old traditions that just might have the power to change our fates. Each episode of Superstitions presents a new drama that unpacks a different belief. Can holding your breath while passing a cemetery save your life? Will carrying a rabbit's foot bring you luck? How can you go through life always avoiding the number 13? And why should you try? They may seem mystical, unusual, completely illogical, but one thing is certain, you ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more podcast shows, search Parcast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of thrilling new series to enjoy. Now back to the story. Aya Pin was a small religious leader in a big conservative Islamic country. His message of acceptance and tolerance was met with widespread resistance. While he believed he was bringing peace on earth, others in Malaysia thought he was a religious deviant, someone leading faithful Muslims astray. The group suffered a tragedy in 2003, when one of Pin's most staunch believers, Muhammad Yah, passed away. His wife, Kamaria Ali, attributed his sudden passing to his time in prison, and that distressed Pin. But what the government did next had Pin enraged. Even though Yah had previously renounced his faith, Kamaria attempted to have her husband buried in an Islamic cemetery, possibly to be with his family. However, the government wouldn't allow it. They said because Yah renounced his faith, he wasn't allowed to be buried with other Muslims. Kamaria called out the hypocrisy. She argued that according to the Sharia court, her husband was still a Muslim when he was alive. They even threw him in jail because he couldn't renounce his faith. Now they were reversing course? But the courts wouldn't hear Kamaria's claims. In an egregious move, they held firm and barred her husband from being laid to rest in a Muslim cemetery. To make up for this indignity, Pin had Muhammad Yah buried at the commune. Yah's final resting place became one of the shrines that travelers came far and wide to see at the Sky Kingdom. The move against Yah was petty, but it again sent a clear message to Pin's followers. Even in death, they could not escape the government's reach. But that didn't stop Pin. Nothing ever seemed to. Instead, Pin returned to his teachings of acceptance of all faiths, as well as a few colorful additions. Pin said he could kill anyone with his mind. He didn't say exactly how he could accomplish this, but as a god, he could do anything. His followers readily accepted every new outlandish claim and kept returning to the Sky Kingdom undaunted. Every weekend, the Sky Kingdom faithful donated their money to Pin, their unquestionable leader. It's common for those within a cult to follow their leader blindly, especially if they believe he's God. According to psychology researcher Nigel Barber, this need to conform is often found in religious organizations. In his critique of this, Barber said, 
Behavioral conformity is often possible without any depth or sincerity. Many religions impose the further requirement of conforming to a detailed belief system that often bears a tenuous connection with reality. Somehow, Penn's increasingly bizarre claims made the Sky Kingdom even more popular. Under Aya Pin's watchful eye, the Sky Kingdom flourished over the next few years. Weekend pilgrims came as readily as ever. It made locals all the more anxious. It wasn't just the all-night services that worried people. They'd heard about other cults. They worried what kind of underbelly the Sky Kingdom was hiding. The locals couldn't bear to think that children were being abused or that Pin took advantage of young female followers. They already knew he had four wives. They couldn't help but let their imaginations run wild with speculation. Tensions flared, locals yelled at visitors, and contentious stares were common. Eventually, the rumors and the tension in the community escalated, inching closer and closer to a boiling point. Then, in July 2005, it all erupted in violence. July 18th was a normal weekday evening at the Sky Kingdom. The weekend visitors were gone, and only the most loyal to Pin remained. The evening was quiet and uneventful. Followers ate dinner in their small wooden homes and collected water from the large teapot in the middle of everything. They prayed in thanks for their food and looked forward to Aya Pin's next inspired message. Suddenly, off in the distance, a few Sky Kingdom members heard a commotion. Some angled their heads a little bit higher to see if they could make out anything near the darkened perimeter of the commune. A dog barked, and then a window smashed. From there, things erupted into chaos. Sounds of destruction seemed to come from everywhere. Car alarms wailed, wooden doors came crashing down, and more glass shattered. No one had any idea what was going on, least of all Aya Pin. Resting comfortably inside of his home, he didn't hear the initial sounds of destruction. But he jumped to his feet when he saw followers racing by his window. That's when he saw the distinct flames of a Molotov cocktail fly through the air and land on the ground outside. The hard earth erupted in brilliant flames. The fire engulfed the gorgeous jungle foliage in a split second. As he rushed outside, Pin made out a group of men in black masks and robes running around the compound. They destroyed everything in sight. He saw cars burning. Chunks of concrete crumbled off the wall of the building he just left. Pin wasn't able to tell if any of the intruders had guns, but they were armed with machetes and two-by-fours. Pin feared for his life. One of his many followers noticed their defenseless leader and grabbed him, pulling him away from the chaos. The pair sprinted off in the opposite direction of the attackers. They needed to get out of the compound fast. As they darted into the darkness, another follower raced to the nearest phone to call for help. When she picked up the light plastic receiver and put it to her ear, her heart sank. There was no dial tone. The attackers had cut the phone lines to the commune. There was no one coming to help them. Pin and his follower flew headlong into the jungle. Pin's breath labored when he took a momentary pause. The sweat beaded on his forehead as he looked back towards the glow of the Sky Kingdom. Pin had an idea of who the attackers were, but he didn't care. That could wait for the morning when he was safe. 
Pin tried to still his breath to hear if anyone had followed him this far into the jungle. Somewhere between him and the Sky Kingdom, he heard the murmurs of the attackers. The pair continued until they found a small ditch. It wasn't very deep, but it was big enough for both of them. They had a choice to make. They could keep running or hide. Pin was 62 or 63 years old at that point, so hiding was their best shot. To survive the night, they both carefully lowered themselves down and then skillfully obscured the opening with branches and ground cover. There they waited, hoping desperately that the attacks might miss them. Back at the Sky Kingdom, families huddled together as the masked men continued their assault. Pin's followers prayed that no one would get hurt. So far, the assailants had only destroyed property. Pin's followers were caught off guard by the intruder's fury. Members of the Sky Kingdom knew there was animosity in the community, but they were shocked by the vileness and brutality of the destruction outside. Some of them wondered who was behind the onslaught. The coordinated attack seemed beyond the capability of angry locals. Everything appeared a bit too organized, but they pushed the thoughts of government persecution out of their heads as they prayed to make it through the night. Aya Pin sat silently in the small earthen pit. He heard his attackers approach. They were whispering back and forth, wondering where Pin had gone. The men spread out, trying to do a grid search of the land. They held long sticks and whacked them across the low underbrush, hoping to connect with Pin. Eventually, the group made it to the hole. He and his companions scrunched down as far as they could, and right in front of their eyes, the stick, sharpened at one end, plunged into the pit. Luckily, it missed both of them, but just barely. The pair caught their gasps before they escaped, the stick slowly rose out of the pit. It seemed certain that it was going to come back down, this time on one of them, possibly ending the Sky Kingdom right then. Their hearts raced and they closed their eyes. But instead of plunging the spear into the hole a second time, the men continued walking. The pair let out a slow, quiet sigh. It seemed to be a miracle. The hours ticked on as the assailants searched every bit of the jungle. However, they never discovered the leader of the Sky Kingdom. But Pin was still very much in danger. Coming up, Aya Pin goes missing and the Sky Kingdom wanes in his absence. Now back to the story. On July 18, 2005, Aya Pin went missing after 30 men clad in masks and robes descended on his religious commune, the Sky Kingdom. They had come for retribution for what they saw as crimes against God, but Pin managed to slip through their fingers. As the sun rose on the Sky Kingdom, no one seemed to know what to do. Pin's loyal followers seemed lost without their leader. They openly wept at the destruction. Their home, their refuge, their holy land had been pillaged. The band of assailants had torched a handful of wooden structures, damaged several cars, and terrorized the Sky Kingdom members. 
The police added insult to injury when they arrived on the scene a few days later. Instead of helping to find the attackers, they treated Pin's followers as perpetrators of a crime. The authorities arrested 58 members of the Sky Kingdom for violating the fatwa order issued in 1997. Included in the arrest was Kamaria Ali, who had previously been incarcerated with her husband in 2000. Along with Kamaria, mothers and fathers were rounded up, and even five children were arrested. The local government denied involvement in the mass attack of July 18th, but didn't condemn the assailants. They claimed the masked men were just concerned citizens who acted justly when they, the government, had let the public down. Local leaders probably believed it was something that should have happened years before. The government saw an opening and were going to take it. With Pin missing and dozens of his followers in jail, district officials had construction equipment brought into the commune. They claimed that the land wasn't zoned for this type of use. Instead, it was only meant for agriculture. It didn't matter that people had been living on the land for over a decade. A bulldozer and a backhoe were brought into the Sky Kingdom to finish the work started by the faceless mob. The activity was quick and devastating. The workers went straight for the Sky Kingdom's most precious monuments. The large, 20-foot-tall teapot was one of the first things to go. The machines gnashed and clawed at its sides until the concrete structure tumbled down. One minute, water flowed from the spout. The next, it ceased forever. By the end of the day, the vase, the umbrella, and the large meeting hall were in ruins. Those who remained on the property were devastated at what they saw. For days, crews returned to knock down more walls, tear up foundations, and haul away debris. However, one day while trying to tear down steps that Ayapin used to deliver his messages, the bulldozer broke down. That far out from town, there were no parts on hand to fix it. Crews abandoned the large piece of equipment when they left the Sky Kingdom. Despite the utter destruction, Pin's followers believed that the failure of the machine was caused by divine intervention. It was another sign that they were on the right side of history, and their cause was just. In addition, news of the Sky Kingdom's destruction had piqued the interest of the international media. It was just the sort of strange global story that could fill some precious airtime. Pictures of the Sky Kingdom before and after the destruction circulated. From there, criticisms of the Malaysian government were swift. The U.S. State Department later included the raid in a report of religious oppression by governments all over the world. Human Rights Watch, a nonprofit organization, released a statement condemning the Malaysian government. They were appalled that the government had allowed the mob to attack the Sky Kingdom and were taken aback by the government's decision to tear everything down. While international papers were sympathetic to Ayapin and the Sky Kingdom, local publications were swift in their criticisms. They saw it as their opportunity to lambast the small community. Rumors circulated that Ayapin had sexual relations with underage members of the group. Most of these accusations came from conservative publications that saw Pin as a deviant radical. Though no members ever came forward to validate these accusations, many Malaysians latched on to the rumors. Locals seemed happy that the Sky Kingdom was destroyed. They could finally live in wholesome harmony once again. 
But one question lingered. Where was Aya Pin? In the weeks following the raid, the self-proclaimed god was nowhere to be seen. Speculation was rampant. Some believed that he had been killed by the government, but they were keeping this secret to avoid any additional bad press. Others believed that Pin escaped to Thailand. There, they believed Pin was safe from the persecution found in Malaysia. It certainly seemed plausible that he had slipped through the government's grasp, but this likely outcome made his loyal followers feel, to some degree, that they had been abandoned. People stopped showing up on weekends, and many of the families who lived full-time at the commune left. Not only were some now disillusioned with Pin, but they were also scared of further government action. Only those unafraid of the consequences showed up, and they were few and far between. Those hanging on at the Sky Kingdom turned out their lights and went indoors whenever they saw a strange car approach. Every time, they felt that it might be another gang of men, ready to eliminate the rest of them. Only those truly devoted stayed, and it was rare for a new pin devotee to show up. However, for those that stayed, they never gave up hope that Pin was coming back. They still believed, despite all that happened, that Pin was God. Their dreams, his message, and visions. It was all the real deal. Faith can be powerful and can be used as a coping method during difficult times. The Sky Kingdom's belief in Pin's message, despite everything against it, gave Pin's followers hope. In an interview with the American Psychological Association, researcher Kenneth I. Pargament said, Empirical studies of many groups dealing with major life stressors such as natural disaster, illness, loss of loved ones, divorce, and serious mental illness show that religion and spirituality are generally helpful to people in coping, especially people with the fewest resources facing the most uncontrollable of problems. Despite the Sky Kingdom members' hope, it took years before new reports of Pin surfaced. Sources claimed that Pin was seen in a small village in southern Thailand, less than a day's journey away from the Sky Kingdom. The anonymous sources stated they saw Pin going to a local cockfighting ring for entertainment. If this was true, then Pin had done his best to blend in. But plenty of people had heard of him and the drama at the Sky Kingdom. Observers believed that he was simply too scared to come back home after the raid. While Pin lived years in exile, one of his faithful members, Kamaria Ali, languished in the courts. She was doing her best to fight back against what she saw as an unjust system. After her arrest with the other members, she faced charges stemming from comments she made in 2000 regarding her Islamic faith. No records remain to hint at what she said but the courts claimed it was offensive to Islam. She resented the charges and did her best to get the Sharia court to recognize her renouncement of faith. And like before, the courts didn't give her argument any weight. They believed she was simply trying to get out of the charges and hadn't given up the faith. They ignored the fact that Kamaria never recanted her renunciation of Islam in 1998, and this had severely hurt her, socially and economically. She still struggled to find work, and her community turned their backs on her. She had no reason to lie about it. She just wanted to live a peaceful life, far away from this government harassment and state-approved violence. 
Unfortunately for Kamaria, this dream was never realized. While the charges were tossed out, so was her renunciation of faith. In federal court in 2011, they ruled that she could only be let out of Islam by the Sharia court, not by simply stating she wanted to leave. In the eyes of the government, she was still a follower of Islam. For Kamaria, the wheels of bureaucracy were inescapable. She returned home to the Sky Kingdom, where her husband was buried and felt dejected. In the years after Ayapin vanished, there were rumors that members replaced him as the leader of the Sky Kingdom, but those were unfounded. In truth, the group slowly disintegrated. Month by month, more people left the commune, never to return. By the end of the 2000s, only a few people lived on land that once hosted hundreds. Sightings of Pin in Thailand became more frequent, but public interest in the cult waned. Papers stopped publishing stories about the Sky Kingdom as the group's numbers dwindled. It wasn't until 2012 that Pin returned to Malaysia. He was found back in his old hometown of Kampung Batu 13. But the once steadfast leader wasn't in good health. Sometime that year, Pin suffered a stroke and was partially paralyzed. Locals watched from a distance as he shuffled around town, being cared for by at least one of his wives. He shuttled back and forth between his new home and a medical massage clinic a few towns over. His condition never improved, and gradually he lost more strength. Pin never returned to the Sky Kingdom. It's unclear if any of his members came to visit him, but if they did, it happened in secret, out of fear of government intervention. It's also unknown if he gave up his claims of divinity later in life. In April 2016, at the age of 74, the religious leader died. He was laid to rest in a local cemetery. Malaysians still bring up the Sky Kingdom as a unique chapter of their country's religious history. The group and its leader are seen as sideshow characters, dissidents who were made an example of. But a few of Pin's followers are still alive and hold out hope that one day they may be reunited with him in the afterlife, in the true Sky Kingdom. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with an all-new story. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Cults was written by Robert Tyler Walker, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Hang a horseshoe above your door, keep a rabbit's foot in your pocket, and follow Superstitions free on Spotify. Listen every Wednesday for the surprising backstories to our most curious beliefs and thrilling tales that illuminate the mystical eeriness of our favorite superstitions.